Hi, welcome to Death and Desserts, where we discuss the dark, disturbing, and beautiful elements of death whilst eating dessert. I'm Zarya. And I'm Sana. And today we are discussing autopsies. Today's dessert was blackberry cobbler topped with ice cream from Jukebox Junction. If you would like to see what we were eating, Check us out on Instagram at Death and Desserts Podcast, where we have also tagged the restaurant. What did you think about that ice cream? I mean, I had butter pecan on my blackberry cobbler, and I swear it was the best combination. (laughs) It was. I had the blackberry cobbler with the cookie dough. Yeah. Mmm. Yeah. I mean, these... Desserts, I'm sure, are far from homemade. Like, I don't think that they make them in restaurant. But it's worth going to that restaurant because... And I've been wanting to shout them out for a while. It will be almost a year when this comes out that Tropical Storm Fred flooded Crusoe and Canton and parts of Asheville and Jukebox was really there for their community. They organized a huge relief effort. There were donations all over the place, well organized in the restaurant. It was a huge deal and I mean they're like local heroes to me because they did that and so I definitely wanted to talk about them for a second and you know, a lot of hikers hang out in that area, mm-hmm. and I feel like if you go hiking up there, just, like, hit jukebox on the way home and get some ice cream. <laughs> right. It, it may not be, you know, freshest, best restaurant-made stuff, but it's good, and it hits the spot. It is so good, and I admit I love eating. It's a greasy spoon. I love eating everything they have. <laughs> Same. So, do you want to hear my... Death in the news? Yes. Ooh, news. Ooh, news. So, this isn't immediately recently, but last September, archaeologist students found an Iron Age settlement in Winterbourne, Kingston, and Dorset. And this settlement dates from around 100 years BC. And the thing that I want to talk about with this discovery isn't just that it's prehistoric, but also... The main point is that human and animal remains were unearthed together. So the animal remains were buried alongside the human bodies. So the thing that was remarkable about that is that some of the animal remains were like from very big animals that they could have fed their settlement with. And so it kind of showed more about their religion and like the sacrificial part of that because they were willing to sacrifice such stores of food and bury it you know rather than eating it so we're certain these were healthy animals yes and they were wow yeah that's a huge sacrifice yeah so that was like the the biggest thing and that kind of gives insight more into their possible religion at the time also alongside the discovery of these animals and some of these pits animals had kind of been pieced together So the excavating team found a cow's head on a sheep's body, and that's a little weird. Like Fiji mermaids sewn together? I don't know if they were sewn, but they were definitely placed, like, where the head would be. 
Okay. It might have been sewn. The The article didn't go that in detail. Wait, didn't you say this was Dorset? Where is that? Southwest England. Okay, the reason that I'm kind of excited about this is because supposedly or factually, and I'm not up on it, an Egyptian woman founded Scotland. Oh. Like, Egyptians settled Scotland. I don't know about founded. But her name was Scotta. And she was an Egyptian princess. So if they were into anthropomorphizing mm-hmm. animals and... I mean, that would make was sense. like three different animals put right. together. So it would make sense that the local animals up there might be getting... <gasps> that is so fascinating. That could be a thing. That could for sure be a thing. Because they just discovered it last September, they've still got far more to research. Right, they're and they're not making these leaps that I'm making right now. No, but if they do, you'll you should see. Yeah, called it. Called it. Also, the human bodies really showed that they were buried carefully. They were laid out in particular ways, so it's not like they just got dumped in as like an afterthought. It wasn't like they were just dumping them into pits like a morbid build a bear clinic. <laughs> Sacrificial Build-A-Bear. And that's what I've got for Death in the News. <laughs> I'm sorry, I love that. <laughs> like, you need to make some art for that. <laughs> yes! Like, maybe a sheep with a... Yeah. Yes, Sacrificial Build-A-Bear. We have got this. So, I want to touch a little bit onto the history of the autopsy. Okay. Okay. So, the beginnings of what would lead to the eventual practice of modern autopsies start all the way back in ancient Egypt. Obviously, they weren't doing much more than removing organs to mummify their corpses at this point, but dissection is clearly the important first step that we can't miss out on. So, by 300 BCE, we have a few men of note that advanced the practice. Aristratus and Herophilus were both Alexandrian physicians, and they are both generally regarded as kick-starting the process leading to dissection. It was the first time the bodies are starting to be dissected for the study of diseases. Herophilus would do public dissections on human cadavers, and he's kind of regarded historically as the father of anatomy as we know it. For a short period of time, Greek medicine had kind of lifted the ban on human dissection, and Herophilus uses this time to study the ventricles of the brain, and he makes really detailed accounts of the human eye, the liver, the pancreas, the genitals, and even salivary glands. Also, Herophilus, this dude is the dude we can thank for naming the prostate gland. <laughs> so, like, how public was this? Was this in a building and anyone could come in, or was this, like, in a square, and he's just cutting people up? Well, I mean, it's in the 300 BCE, so I'm going to say it was not like a medical clinic. <laughs> well, I mean, fair. Oh, gosh. I'd... But also, you couldn't make it too public. That would just be inviting chaos. True. I guess that we'll just, you know, Google it eventually. Or our <laughs> listeners, Google it and let us know. Yeah, Google <laughs> it and let us know. Was this dude... Cutting people up in the market square. And... Naming the prostate gland in front of everyone? I wonder why he chose the word prostate. I guess, <laughs> you know, it's probably easy to find. Like, if we, like, looked up the Greek root word. <laughs> Maybe. On the other hand, we have Aristratus, who 
is generally regarded as the father of physiology. He was studying the circulatory and nervous systems, and he's the one that figures out how oxygen is carried through the blood with our veins and whatnot. He's also the one that figures out the differences between sensory and motor nerves. And outside of this, in ancient Greece, dissection and autopsies are still very rare at this point and banned for many years. But in the sections where it's not banned, is banned, that's when these progresses are made. Fast forward to 44 BCE, and this is where we get the first official, quote, autopsy. It's performed on the body of Julius Caesar after he was stabbed. Because there was mystery there? Well, <laughs> the Roman physician named Antistius wanted to examine the body to find out which stab wound was fatal. I don't know if that's working towards trying to prosecute because all of the senators had right. taken part. Whose blow was that? Like, they're going to cop to it. Right. How, how do you... Oh, I only stabbed him in the gut. I only stabbed him in the shoulder. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the fatal... The fatal one was one that, I guess, came down near the shoulder or whatever and hit his mm -hmm. heart. But also there's theories that he knew he was dying and he kind of, like, suicided by Senator. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's a thing. So later... <laughs> Are you okay? I'm just a little tickled, but... <laughs> I probably should have worded that differently. No, you shouldn't have. You're American. Um, suicided by Senator. Legit. <laughs> Uh, Antistius, he reports all of his recorded findings from Julius Caesar's autopsy into the forum, and he kind of gets it re recorded for posterity and stuff. And side note, this is where we get the word forensic, i.e. from the forum. Oh. Yeah. So maybe that's where they were doing it. Maybe. So this is the first recorded account of an autopsy. And as you know, 2,000 years later, we would use forensic to apply to a specific kind of autopsy. All right. You ready to find out what an autopsy is? Yes. An autopsy is a medical exam of a body after death. There are three types. Like you said, forensic or medico-legal, which used to determine the cause of death and identification and all kinds of other stuff. There's also clinical or pathological autopsy and that is done to research diseases and anatomical or academic for learning, you know, because all doctors have to go through anatomy class and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And autopsies are usually done when a death is suspicious or unexpected. When there could be a health public concern, like a disease outbreak, there were probably a lot of autopsies in the last few years because of COVID. When no doctor knows the patient well enough to know the cause of death or to sign the death certificate, like, you know, usually your doctor's going to know if you were mm -hmm. barreling straight towards heart disease or something like that. And they're like, oh, whatever. But if nobody knows you, then they have to find out for themselves and or when a doctor family member or legally responsible person requests an autopsy and they can be done by a county coroner who isn't necessarily a doctor i also think that is an elected position but i could be mistaken elected by who i guess i've never voted for a coroner so i guess i'm wrong 
Well, maybe it's elected by the officials in the hospital or, like, um, it may presidents. Be. It, it has something to do with, like, the sheriff's office and stuff like that. Really? Yeah. Okay. Like, that's why you don't have to be a doctor. Okay. I'll look it up, too. We'll fact check that. Cool. And then they can be done by a medical examiner who is always going to be a doctor, usually a pathologist. And clinical autopsies are always done by pathologists. We'll take a little break here to get back into ancient Greece. We have Claudius Galenus, who was a Greek physician, anatomist, surgeon, and philosopher in the Roman Empire. He's absolutely not perfect by any means, but that's not all his fault. At the time, medicine and anatomy are still being influenced by the theory of the four circulating humors, which would be black bile, yellow bile, blood and phlegm. And so, for like... 4,000 years, medical science would still believe that disease is connected to only the fluids in the blood. But that's not really his fault. That's what the common thought was at the time. Mm. On the other hand, he's the physician that finally connects what is felt by the patient and what can be seen. So we have to give him some credit for that, along with giving him some credit for the fact that in his time, Dissection is still very prohibited, and he used apes, birds, mice, snakes, pigs, goats, oxen, and even horses and elephants to try to advance his understanding of the human body. Can you imagine dissecting a fucking elephant? Right? Where do you even get an elephant? I mean, they imported them. Right. But damn, those things are huge. (laughs) And I guess he, at some point when he was using apes to understand human physiology, he like switched from apes because some of their expressions, I guess they were alive, some of their expressions, you're right, mimicked human expressions too much and I guess it squeaked him out so he switched to other animals. And that... Maybe fucking wait for them to be dead. That's not an autopsy. That's just dissection, which I know is what you're covering. That's just I know, it's horrifying. sad. It is horrifying. horrifying. We have a few other people that advance our practice of dissection. Most notably, Arabic physician Ibn Zu'or, who figures out the first tracheotomy via practicing on a goat. And Ibn al-Nafis, who uses prior works specifically from our friend Galen we just talked about to kind of critique and advance Galen's understanding to build his own understanding of pulmonary circulation. Both were kind of prevented via Islam from performing human dissections, so they also stuck to animals at this time. They definitely contributed huge, noteworthy advances to what we would eventually get to with autopsies. So now you want to talk about how? Oh, girl. Oh, girl. (laughs) I'm not ready, am I? Okay, first I'm going to do a very general overview which makes sense when you hear this awesome quote that I found on hopkinsmedicine.org all autopsies start with general and end with specific I loved that okay so first they do a visual exam of the body inside and out all the organs are removed weighed and a portion is preserved for further analysis they analyze microscopic, chemical, and biological samples of organs, tissues, and fluids. And autopsies technically take about two to four hours, but results from lab tests can take many weeks. So all those tox screens in Mm. police procedurals and stuff like that, that they get back within an hour, does actually take 
weeks and weeks. That's usually. fake news. Oh, it's so fake. They do it specifically just for storytelling purposes. I mean, there's usually like funerals and shit by the time this stuff is done. <laughs> A final report is made after all the labs are complete. So, I found the... It was fun. I did it. You saw me do it because I was in your kitchen. There is a website from the Australian.museum that you can do a virtual autopsy. It's for learning, but you can do it. Like, you click all the buttons. It was fun, and I did it. So. We'll give you the link in the show notes. Oh, absolutely. I want everyone to do this. (laughs) (laughs) The steps of an autopsy. First... The body is laid out on the table. An autopsy table is a stainless steel tray that is slanted for drainage, has running water connected to it, and it has like a rim or a lip around the perimeter to keep everything from spilling over. First, the external examination is done. The medical examiner or coroner will inspect every visible part of the body and clothing, including skin for abrasions, cuts, any other marks, lividity or blood pooling in the extremities or the trunk of the body, rigor mortis in joints, and any debris or anything under the fingernails. Like, they they get pretty minute. Everything is noted, including odors. I mean, aside from, like... Decomp is obviously going to be one of the big odors. but Like chemical. Yeah, like for instance, very often the smell of sweet almonds or bitter almond tips off investigators to the use of arsenic. Mm -hmm. And considering only a certain percentage of people can actually smell that, if you can smell it, maybe be an Emmy or something. Okay, so that's the external examination. And then... The internal exam, the first cut is the well-known Y incision, which begins at the front of each shoulder just underneath the clavicle and comes together about maybe the sternum and then continues on to just above the pubic bone. And they will often do a little whoop around the belly button. <laughs> it was very technical. I appreciate very that. Very technical. Okay, so whoop, and then what? Around the belly button. Mm. And the cut is very deep. It goes through the abdominal wall, and then they spread the skin apart, and the top flap goes over the face of the body. After that, ribs are sawn off, and the sternal plate and anterior chest wall are cut away to expose the internal organs. Organs are then removed. The most common way is the Brokatansky method. <gasps> I know that name. Do you? I'll hold it. Keep okay, going. Okay, okay. So the Brokatansky method, which is removing all the organs at once. Organs then are dissected one by one and small tissue samples are collected. Then the brain is removed. The scalp is cut around the back of the head from ear to ear and then pulled back and cut away from the face. Then a vibrating saw is used to cut the top of the skull and the brain is gently lifted out of the cranial vault. I love that word. Cranial vault. I don't know why. Why are they so gentle with the brain when they've sawn the skull? Is it to preserve? Yeah, because you gotta be able to see 
what's and and I think that's why they use a vibrating saw instead of other kinds of saws because it doesn't damage anything that's in there. Mm. If they were using other saws, they might accidentally slice into it. I don't know. That makes sense. Or send shrapnel into it. Cranial shrapnel from the cranial <laughs> vault. Shrapnel from the cranial vault. <laughs> the brain is then either cut fresh or placed in a 20% solution of formalin for further examination, but that's only done with the consent of the coroner and the senior next of kin. All organs except the stomach and intestines are weighed, then the stomach and intestines are drained for their contents to be examined. Mm. After everything's been looked at and weighed and dissected and all that, the organs are then replaced back in the body using a soft absorbent material to replace any organs that don't go back in for whatever reason they have to keep them. Uh, the senior next of kin is notified of all retained samples and organs and asked for preference if they want it back with the body or disposed of respectfully, quote unquote. Because, I mean, if you want to bury somebody, you don't want to wait around for everybody to get done with their organs. You know, just, just toss it or whatever they do with it. Well, they I'm don't assuming, toss it. That's not respectfully. I'm assuming that it's incinerated. Okay. Then everything is put back and a post-mortem technician, which I didn't know that was a separate job and I kind of want to look into it, sews everything back up with a baseball stitch. Interesting. And that is an autopsy. I love it. (laughs) So my question, just randomly, do you think they have to tell the families that they're incinerating parts? What if there are people that are against things like cremation because it's, you know... I think when they're giving you the option between waiting for them to come back to you or being disposed of, they probably tell you how they dispose of them. That makes sense. So I could be completely mistaken, but I don't see how they would be buried. Like, I I don't really think that... A hospital is gonna take the time and well, space. no, they couldn't, and it wouldn't be, you know, it wouldn't be efficient at all, right? I just <laughs> Especially wonder if, if there's a disease involved, you'd probably want to burn that shit. I just wonder if people are opposed to incineration because it's along the lines of, yeah, maybe, maybe since it's just a part, they don't care, maybe. I don't know. So, yeah, that's how an autopsy is done, Very cool. and I was completely fascinated, I was giggling the whole time I was taking that virtual autopsy. <laughs> you were overjoyed. I'm going to go look at it just so I can see I mean, it's not that fun, but it is it's when you're fun. a giant dork. <laughs> well, yeah. If you're nerding out, it's fine. So, to jump back to history for a minute, by now, we are caught up to the Middle Ages. We don't advance very far in the Middle Ages. By now, religion has sort of got a stranglehold on science, and it's a crime to dissect the human body, but... By the Italian Renaissance, attitudes are starting to shift just a tiny, tiny bit. Leonardo da Vinci advances the study a great deal because of his study of anatomy and later autopsies. In the early 1500s, da Vinci dissected an old man who had died in a hospital. And eventually, by the end of his life, da Vinci had claimed that he had cut up like more than 
30 corpses, and he had coupled that with huge compilations of his individual drawings and thousands of words of notes. But here's the thing, he never published his findings as far as I'm aware, so it didn't advance us as much as it could have medically if he would have come out with it. Yeah, but he didn't want to die for it. Yeah, I guess. Because <laughs> he would have. But he's also the one that, at that time, figures out the anatomy of the heart and that it's four-chambered, as opposed to some of the previous physicians we've talked about that had different theories about the heart. Some people, because of his hesitance to publish his knowledge, had to figure the shit out all over again on their own, and so it's kind of delayed. But either way, his incredibly detailed drawings and his ability to match art perfectly to what he was seeing advanced the whole understanding of human anatomy quite a bit. That's awesome. You always see that figure drawing of the dude with the arms and... Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, so I guess that was like just the beginning I guess I was like the part he could publish without being prosecuted. I mean, was he? Like, I don't remember how he died. (laughs) I I don't remember either, but here's the thing. I never knew. I mean, I knew, obviously, that he knew anatomy very well, but I don't think I knew that he had actually dissected people. I sure didn't. And so when I was doing the research, I was kind of flabbergasted. We always talk about the art, which is incredible. Right. His art was incredible. All kinds of different art. But I didn't know about the human dissecting. I mean, I knew that, you know, he was a man of science, but I didn't know how he was going about that science. That's very fascinating. Mm. So, fast forwarding to the 1800s, we are going to talk about our boy Karl Rokotansky. Rokotansky, yeah. That you were just talking about. Yeah. So, he is an Austrian pioneer for the modern-day autopsy as we know it. By this point in the 1800s, the practice is getting more regulated and more established between medical examiners and whatnot. And as a pathologist, Carl works towards creating a systemic picture of the sick organism from, like, nearly 100,000 autopsies. Wow. He himself completed more than 30,000 autopsies. What? How? I have no idea. That's like several in a day. He must have just been doing it day to night. No wonder he took all the organs out at once. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, fair point. He also supervised more than 70,000. So. I can't even. I can't even. I can't even either. He had to have been doing it day to night all the time. He helped make the the study of pathological anatomy, a cornerstone of modern medicine, and he also establishes a world medical center during the later half of the 19th century. The modern method of removing all the organs in one block and then dissecting them on the autopsy table was named for him. That's what you were talking about a few minutes ago. Carl, though, doesn't get all the credit for the modern autopsy. Rudolf Ludwig Karl Rakow is the first to use a microscope to examine the organs. And Victor is responsible for showing evidence that cellular pathology is fundamental to understanding diseases. But on the flip side, Europe isn't having all the fun in the 1800s. Across the pond in America, we were making strides too. Oh dear. Oh yes. With the 1828 formation of the Baltimore and Ohio Railroad, Transportation was getting revolutionized, and with that railway, body snatching becomes a huge and lucrative field. 
In America? In America. See, so, I always hear about the body snatchers in England. Yeah. In Scotland. I did not know. Yeah, yeah. They were grabbing them in America too. Oh my they God. were. So, in Central Europe, unclaimed corpses would get sent to medical schools, but in the U.S., in England, and Scotland, they didn't have that assistance from the unclaimed corpses or whatever. So, they, the medical schools in the U.S., England, and Scotland needed material to advance. And so they resorted to collecting corpses the only way they knew how, and they were robbing graves. Baltimore, especially, became a hotbed for resurrectionists. They popped the bodies into barrels of whiskey, and then at the destination, the medical school would, like, take the bodies for dissection. But then they'd sell the whiskey the corpse had been in as Ew. stiff drinks. Stiff drinks? But um, but Dutch gag a dog off a gut wagon. That's so gross. Yeah, I wonder if they knew that they were drinking corpse whiskey, or were they just innocent buying whiskey? <laughs> we'll move on. Oh my god, I can't believe he's that. I am. It's pretty great, especially as exhilarated you were about some of this details. Right? Like, but it's still different from drinking whiskey that had soaked. Yeah. Yeah. So, grave robbing was a misdemeanor, but especially in America, since most cemeteries were in cahoots with the body snatchers themselves, the cemeteries weren't talking and they wouldn't sue. So if they didn't sue, then it wasn't really prosecuted, it wasn't really pushed. And so the police only really got involved when they had to be. And there was little consequence to stealing a body out of the grave. And so it kind of seemed like people turned a blind eye because the common good from using the pillaged bodies for dissections and medical science kind of won out over their conscience. So in that way, that also aided our progress to the modern autopsy. So, the College of American Pathologists suggests every death involve an autopsy because, one, it can save lives. All kinds of public health emergencies from diseases, pollution and toxins, and unsafe vehicles and equipment, including, they even mention in the website, cribs that fail and kill babies. Mm. We, we need the information from that. Discovering hereditary illnesses. How many people walk around with diseases they have no idea they have until it or someone else kills them? Mm. 40% of autopsies done in the U.S. reveal diseased states previously unknown by physicians or the patient, mostly because they can use techniques that you can't use on the living. Mm. So they're finding all kinds of shit in huh. dead bodies that they wouldn't have known was there. That's wild, because that doesn't line up to my research at all. Yeah, and in all the articles I found, it was talking about how in postmodern times, autopsies have taken the back seat to pathology, because the advances of technology and clinical diagnoses and the advancements that we've made in pathology, autopsies have become kind of outdated. And huh. so possibly, because it would have repercussions, Maybe that's why people are now saying, no, 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 it's already dropped to less than 5% in the U.S. We have to get this back because it's failing our pathology. Maybe. Maybe. Because, like, I can see how, you know, 
advances in ultrasounds and CT scans and all that stuff can help with imaging and seeing things that we normally wouldn't be able to see in a body without killing it. But like, there's still a lot of information just hiding underneath that surface. My article that I found, and I'll have to find the link for it and post it in the notes, it said that before 1970, 40% to 60% of all hospital deaths resulted in the performance of an autopsy. And that now, after 1970, the rate has gone down to below 5% of hospital deaths. And that's just not United States. That's like worldwide, it said. That's probably because the physicians admit to what they did that killed the person? Maybe. Or or they just think they know. The person was hospitalized for this thing, this is what killed them. They have, they might not actually know. Right. If they just say with confidence to the family this is what killed them. Yeah, yeah. Because it said in my article that I had that post-mortem examinations won't reveal anything that wasn't already clinically detected and noted. Bullshit. Right. So maybe that's why currently they're pushing for... 5% is ridiculous. Mm. So maybe that's the reason they're like, no, we aren't going back to the days of the four humors and the (laughs) dissecting elephants. We are going... Yeah, and honestly, that really sounds like medical hubris to me. Because doctors, at least... I don't know a whole lot of doctors. I know a lot of nurses. (laughs) And they are always bitching about doctors. But it seems like doctors always think they know. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you go for a second opinion and very often they're like, oh, no, 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 it's this. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I feel like the decline in autopsies is medical hubris. They think they know what killed someone and they tell the family that. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. There's also other reasons, obviously legal evidence. Autopsies aren't just for homicides. Accidental deaths in a workplace or a medical malpractice can be proven with an autopsy. Another reason I wonder if that's why it's declining. Like they're saying it was this just to cover their own asses. Mm -hmm. And peace of mind. A family might want to know what killed the deceased, especially if they somehow feel responsible. Mm. Autopsies are... Extremely expensive. Private autopsies can cost anywhere between $3,000 and $5,000. And the requesting party is responsible for that payment. Most insurance plans do not cover autopsies. And obviously Medicaid and Medicare do not cover autopsies at all. So if it's criminal or whatever, who pays for it? Forensic autopsies are paid for by the government or the um, county coroner Mm. medical examiner's office so yeah the government pays for that i wonder if that also leads to the decline in them because do they want to pay for it when they know they should i wouldn't be surprised Hmm. interesting and how often are they sweeping things under the rug i'm gonna use a very inflammatory example but george floyd was suffocated but when they were restraining him It could have been something else that killed him. Like, they were trying to say that it was the drug. He couldn't breathe well because of the drugs he was supposedly on. 
They were saying that was affecting his breathing. If he had been sober, he wouldn't have suffocated under asshole's knee. Mm-hmm. But autopsies were done, and that was shown to be pure bullshit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I wonder how often coroner's offices and whatnot don't do autopsies because they're told not to. Mm. Or they're told to do something quick. Mm-hmm. My trust in the system is like... <laughs> Same. <laughs> autopsies are best done in the first 24 hours of death. That will give you the best results, preferably before embalming. However, depending on the state and decomposition of the remains, important information can still be gathered on down the line. I don't know what state <laughs> they would have to be in where you're like, I've got nothing. I know burn victim. If you go by the show Bones, <laughs> you can still tell certain things from a body that's been charred. My concern is bodies that have been embalmed, what information could you retain? Especially if it was chemical poison? I don't think you could if it was chemically done unless the poison or whatever settles into the actual tissues of your organs. Right. Like if it's just in your blood, they're not going to see it because there's no more blood. But if it collects in the tissues, then those tissue samples that they're taking, they could find it there. Fair. Oh, and one episode of, I don't know if you noticed, but I watch a lot of police procedurals, which is really weird considering my feelings. CSI. The original CSI. They detected something in the eyeball humors. I'm surprised you watched that one. Oh, it was rough to get through. (laughs) Let me tell you. But they could find something that was in the system and the fluid that was in the eyeball. I hate talking about that, but it's important information for other people to know. So if you think you're getting away with something, you're not hiding anywhere in the body. (laughs) Oh, where can you get an autopsy? (laughs) The National Association of Medical Examiners actually has a list of private autopsy providers I will provide the link in the show notes. The College of American Pathologists also have a list of board-certified pathologists to perform an autopsy for a fee. It's not nearly as expensive, but it's also, I think, students. Okay. Maybe. I could be mistaken on that. However, I am going to provide this link as well, but this list is updated every year. So the link I'm posting today might not work in a couple of months. Mm -hmm. Usually the autopsies are done in the hospital where the person died. There are other labs and research facilities, obviously, because I have the lists. Second autopsies can be done. Second opinions are important in the medical field and autopsies are no different. A second autopsy will have to be paid for by the person requesting it. You can request a second autopsy if you suspect foul play with an ME or a coroner, or if you disagree with their findings, or if you don't trust the doctors at the hospital where the person just died. Again, I think that's really important for people to know because of the decline in... I didn't know there was a decline in autopsies. Like, I'm deeply concerned about that now. Ignorance is never good. Everyone should have an autopsy. I'm 
with them on that. <laughs> Second, autopsies will always try to dig deeper and examine parts the first one did not, but usually they're pretty thorough. But often fluids are no longer present and important tissues may have been kept and or discarded by the first examiner. So, oh my God, I think we're here at the end of our discussion, or at least of our notes. Like we can keep talking about it. Yeah, we could. Because I'm deeply disturbed by this newfound information about the decline of autopsies. <laughs> we'll definitely post a link to that study. And I really should have looked up because I know that Islam is not the only religion that doesn't allow autopsies. Mm-hmm. I know there's more, and I really should have looked up which other practices frown upon that. I know Jehovah's Witnesses don't give blood. Right. So maybe they also don't do autopsies. I have no idea. Maybe we'll revisit more autopsy information somewhere down the line. You yeah. go forever. Right? But we're also going to be talking in depth about religious practices That's individually. True. So I guess we can mention it then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was... This was fun. This was fun. My my CSI bones police procedural nerd just like blossomed tonight doing all that research. <laughs> oh man. I haven't watched CSI in like a decade. <laughs> and I never watched any of the offshoots. Just, yeah. Just the first one. I only saw a couple, but you know, I don't watch TV. Yeah. And my favorite, I don't watch the serious police procedurals. I watch stuff like Castle. Yeah. I mean, Castle is absolutely my favorite. And there's uh, it's gotta be complete fiction. <laughs> I'm okay with that. <laughs> I'm sure there is, but somewhere between the fiction and the reality. Yeah. But yeah, this is eye-opening and fun and I feel like a hobby coming on somehow. I don't know how. Yeah, you can't dissect people for a no, hobby. No, I, I can't dissect people, and you know I don't have the time and money to become a medical examiner. But you know, maybe if they're looking for post mortem technicians, yeah. Could you sew people up? I mean, I can't sew anything. Maybe humans <laughs> are with a thread and needle. But, same. I can't. But like, it's a baseball stitch. Surely I can figure that one. <laughs> Don't practice on elephants. That's all I've got to say. for real, though. Or anything still alive. What the fuck? (laughs) All right. Credits. Research today was done by both of us, Zarya and Sana. Any artwork for the episode or that will come from this episode, like, say, a cranial vault button, (laughs) will definitely be done by Zarya. Editing, always done by Zarya. Thank you. My editing angel. (laughs) You're welcome. Our theme song is from Kevin McLeod. Our dessert came from the wonderful, delicious Jukebox Junction in Bethel, North Carolina. As always, you can find us at Instagram at Death and Desserts Podcast, on Twitter at Death underscore Desserts, on TikTok at Death and Desserts, and Facebook at Death and Desserts Podcast. All our links, including our website, are available on our Instagram bio. Join us in two weeks when we are interviewing a palliative care nurse and my good, our good friend, Beth. And eating whatever it is she wants to eat for dessert. (laughs) So, remember, life is short. 
have dessert.